It's almost the weekend. High energy edition coming at you. Oh, fresh and sprightly. You feeling you feeling sprightly this morning, Darren? <laughs> Not really, but I oh. just you know, I feel like compared to the last couple of evening sessions, compared to those sessions I do. I do. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, totally. I've I've I feel you there. I'm st- not super fresh out of it, but I've had the dog walk. I've got my coffee here. I'm, I'm my, the brain isn't, you know, you know, you get to the end of the day and it feels like your brain's kind of been drenched in day chemicals. Oh, sure. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I know what you're saying. You got those day chemicals buzzing around, confusing the neurons and you get yeah. home and you open the fridge and you have no fucking clue why you opened it. And you're just yeah. staring into the abyss that is your depopulated fridge. Yeah. You're looking at that leftovers Tupperware that's just like never getting thrown out. It's, it's <laughs> way past its chances of ever being touched by a human hand. And, uh, I've, I've got such a Tupperware container in my fridge right now. I've got, uh, got some rice pudding there, you know, got that. Got that milky nutmeg, cinnamon, banana sultana shit going on. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's been there for a week. It's not good. You can't. Oh. It's not safe for consumption, but it's there and it, it may stay there. Do you remember in uni, I made a short film about such a Tupperware container? <laughs> Do you of remember course. that? Yeah. yeah. I'm, tr- I'm trying to remember the name of it. Refrigerated? Yeah. Refrigerated. No. Oh, was that it? Yeah. Refrigerated. That sounds yeah. right. Yeah. Wow, you did better at me than remembering the name. <laughs> I would not have been able to get there. Um, yeah, it was about a um, like some leftovers left in the fridge too long in a share house, and they came alive and and uh, I think they killed someone in that. They like yeah, no, they were going to kill someone, and then they cleaned the house and like cleaned up. That's right, that was the twist. Oh my god, yeah, no, I remember working on that, and you know, like. I don't know if you have this, but like rumination anxiety 101, I've just got a bunch of like core memories that um, harass me while I'm trying to get to sleep or like have mm. a shower or do something mundane, enjoy my own life. But my brain is like, nah, not today. <laughs> nah, man, not today. And uh, one of those core memories is working with you on the audio and I'd left the mic on when I went to show you something and the feedback was extreme. Oh. Do you remember that? Not at all. (laughs) Not even a little bit. Oh, my God. Yeah. And we were just, I was like, ow, I'm so sorry. And then like an hour later, you were like, yeah, that uh, that feedback was spicy, wasn't it? And I was like, oh, "Oh, I'm so sorry. And it stayed with me for 12 years. (laughs) I mean, now that you mentioned it, maybe there's part of me that's like, uh, it's sort of like when someone's like, um, like a parent or an uncle, like explains a memory of you when you were like five or six that you don't remember mm. at all. But as they describe it, you're like, oh, yeah, maybe, you know, like you kind of <laughs> implants the memory a little bit. That's how I feel. Like when you first started talking about it, I was like, no idea. I don't know anything about that. But, uh, but, but by the time you were done, I was like, maybe I did have that feedback experience. <laughs> yeah. I read, um, I read a book by Oliver Sacks called Hallucinations where right. he talks about memory stealing uh-huh. and that like if you've heard your friend tell a story a couple of times your your brain can just steal it and it's it's absolutely not intentional but yeah. you might hear this story and you'd be like oh yeah i remember that and then the storyteller's like well i was a child and you weren't in my life at that time and you're like mm-hmm. oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> 
yeah. Yeah. I definitely feel that way with friends that have been around for a long, long time, such as yourself, where like mm. I'll tell a story or you'll tell a story. And I was like, pretty sure that happened to me, dude. Or, <laughs> <laughs> like, that never happened at all. Uh, I definitely wasn't there at the very least. And you're like, uh, no, you were there. You were there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, classic. Anyway, how how you doing? Have you been uh, been playing more of that Armored Cure? A little bit of that Amid Kier. Um, I, I'm not sure if I'm at, I'm either at the last boss or I'm at a big turning point in the game. I'm not sure mm-hmm. which one. Mm-hmm. Um, I was reading, though, there's like New Game Plus in that game, which apparently Ooh. is just the best. It's, oh, it's like sick. a victory lap with extra story, apparently. Oh, no shit. So, extra story. That's, mm-hmm. a, that's <laughs> a new turn for FromSoft. You know, usually the New Game Plus is like the balance is right, but uh, there's no new dialogue or anything. Yeah, this time apparently there's some a couple new lines from our, everyone's favourite porcelain throne, Sidder Walter the Handler. <laughs> yes, um, sweet. And a, a bunch of other stuff too. I'm not sure. I, I didn't look too deeply into it for fear of spoilies. Yeah, yeah, good move. Um, but yeah, I've been playing a bit of that. Pretty much all I've been playing. I, I haven't played too many videos. Last time we spoke was on the weekend, right? Mm, no. Mm-hmm. Was it on the weekend or was it during the week? Probably both, but we last recorded the pod during the week. Okay. And that was like a Wednesday or something? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. But yeah. I don't think I've played many games since Wednesday, dude. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no, no. I watched uh, my boss play a little bit of that Starfield. Oh, yeah. What was that like? Um, Yeah. I don't know. Apparently, the first like opening stuff is really slow. Right. Um, which... I think he's kind of refreshing for a big AAA game. Normally they're like, we've talked about it before, the first hour, they're like jam-packed it full of explosions and, you know, hot shit. But this time mm-hmm. they've apparently opted to go for the, the uh, slow path, which is refreshing. Interesting. Um, though I don't know if it's the right move for a game like Starfield. Um, yeah. But yeah, it looked cool. It looked very, like, high detail. Um, animations looked pretty cool, I guess. <laughs> I don't know, man. I was, my um person who makes me coffee, or the people who make me coffee in the morning were like, oh, you play Starfield yet? I'm like, nah, I'm probably going to wait a year or two. Because <laughs> they were really pumped on it. They were, one of them was like a big Bethesda boy. Um, right. And they were like, yeah. I, I said, I don't really like Bethesda that much. And like, oh, don't tell what's such and such that. Right. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I remember enjoying uh, Skyrim and Oblivion back in the day. Yeah, right. Yeah, I never, I never got around those. Mm. I remember we did. Sorry, I took a big gulp. I remember we did the, <laughs> um, the the node or the what was it hardcore mode of Skyrim, where like as soon as you died, that was it. Save game over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was cool. That, yeah, that was cool. That that's my one kind of Bethesda experience, really. Two hours with Skyrim. Yeah. Maybe that's uh, how I should play Starfield. <laughs> just put it on the hardest difficulty and just because it's on Game Pass, like I don't got nothing to lose. But, yeah, that'd yeah. be that'd be cool actually. Maybe we could we could do that together when I've got my Xbox back. We could just Ooh. do a little of a, a debrief, do a hardcore mode. You die, that's it. Uninstall. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Totally. Um, but yeah, the combat looks as as junky as ever. It's that classic bloody Bethesda combat where every. Everything feels like no one's actually fighting each other. They're just fighting, 
you know, invisible ghosts. Totally. Dude, the the combat for all Bethesda games looks terrible. I mean, I yeah, I just haven't had a lot of experience with it. I know they're super beloved, but there's there's a part of me that totally can understand the like nature of exploring a world and being immersed, but like there's so much in those games which seems unimmersive to me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, they must have some special source that certain people really enjoy. Like, I was watching someone play it the other day on Twitch, and uh, it just seemed like a fairly standard level. But then I saw them tweeting about it later, and they were like, this was one of my top five Bethesda game moments of all time. And I'm like, what the fuck? I I love the voice you put on them. Like, fucking lobotomized. (laughs) (laughs) Lobotomized hyper-masculine. This is the best thing I've ever seen in a Bethesda game. It's a terrible impression. It was actually... um, a, a lady named Raf. She's a game developer artist. <laughs> Sounds nothing like that. Um, yeah, no, I don't know, man. It's just not not my cup of tea. See how we go in a year, hey? Yeah, no, it might be. You know, I'm 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 coming around to this idea of the the just the chill game that chews up your time it's like mm. not not something that i've experienced that much but hearing you talk about warframe um hearing twilight priest talk about that assassin's creed game the norse uh, gods one the vikings yeah, yeah. one yeah um you know i think i think there's something to watching the numbers go high and just settling in and like you know, not having to burn through, like, a high-attention state after work or whatever. Totally. Um, and so I think maybe that's the secret source to Bethesda games, is, like, they don't actually ask that much from you, and maybe that's enough. <laughs> like, maybe, <laughs> maybe that's enough. And so, like, I think, I think for me, I'm just, like, way more into games that really, like, require your attention and need problem solving and that kind of thing. And, like, I relax with movies, but Mm. I think if you're just staying in the video game realm, then you would totally want to shake that up and and have these games where you sink 180 hours and you're like, you know, there's a lot of good to be found in Mm. in an experience like that. So, so shout out if you like those, those Bethesda... Uh, I mean, what do you even call that game? Like an open, just an open world time sucker? Time sucker sounds good. Um, <laughs> in Joe, other news... where, where were you just then? <laughs> <laughs> Somewhere else. Time sucker. Dimensions. Sounds, sounds good. good. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't really know. I feel like you, <laughs> I feel like you kind of got it. Um, uh, in other news, though, I I did go out last night. I went out to the Hamer Hall mm. uh, to see an event uh, called Oh the Indie Symphony Sitcho. Indie Symphony, yeah. Um, and it was a mixture of a bunch of indie games. Um, the first half was like overseas indie games, indie games in general, and then there was the second half, which was a focus on Australian indie games. Sick, got that Hollow Knight up there for sure. Yeah, Hollow Knight was right at the end. And they played a bunch of songs from it. They played some Journey, um, mm. 
a bit of Necro Barista actually that was in there. That no cool. shit, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, Celeste was actually one of my favorites. I think it's oh. transcendent versions of songs. You know, it's like all chip tune but re-realized in an orchestra, which is fucking sick. Oh man, yeah, that Celeste soundtrack goes very hard. Goes super duper hard. Um, and yeah, it was a really nicely um, curated event. There was like just an open bar for some reason for the first like three hours before the show started and they're, they're bringing around little treats um kept topping up my glass it's a little bit blitzed um, <laughs> and uh but yeah the show was great and i went with a bunch of people from work and um yeah it was, it was a good time nice nice one yeah, yeah. Uh, how about you? What, you? what have you been doing? What have you been playing? What's been going on? Bro, speaking of open world trash heaps, I mean, no, uh, open world time suckers, mm. I started playing Cyberpunk 2077. What? Um, I was mid-gulp with that one. <laughs> <laughs> no yeah. Way. Uh, Twilight Priest came through with the goods and uh, gave me their copy. So I'm playing the PS5 version, which is, you know... Hopefully, relatively stable these days. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, from what I've experienced of it, it is. Yeah, yeah. And so I played a, a couple of hours of that, and it's it's interesting. It's interesting. It's been a, it's been a long time since I played a game like this, so I'm having yeah. to like, you know, get in the mood. If that makes sense. It does. Yes, you have to be in the right space for uh, to go to Night City to go to that version of Night City. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but uh, again, just holy shit, the PS5 controller coming in hot, it it feels so good. Like, the gunplay in that game is just incredible because of the controller. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's... they do, like, um, all the reactive trigger stuff, right, for the different versions of guns. Like, the shotguns have, like, a harder pull and the, yeah. the cars react to, as they change up and down gears. Yeah, it's very slick. It's so cool. I yeah. I just I feel like every time I play a game on this PS5 and the controller knocks it out of the park, I've got to bring it up just because yeah. I feel like I didn't know this, and it's it's one of those like it just feels next gen. It feels like that's an aspect of the console that should be moving units. And like mm. before, I picked up a controller, I didn't really know about it. Like. I've kind of heard about it. I heard whispers of that haptic feedback, but mm. uh, to hold it in your, in your hot little gamer claws, it's it's a very different experience. Yeah, it's a hard sell. You know, you, you mm. can say haptic feedback, trigger reactivity, but it doesn't really get it across. Like you need no. to actually hold it and play with it and be like, oh yeah. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's back. He's back. Yeah, the, I'm uh, back. <laughs> I'm back from the wherever <laughs> I went. <laughs> Um, um, yeah, I, I wish Armored Core had that. There's, mm. there's no PlayStation 5 trigger, I mean, controller support for Armored Core. It's just a regular, regular shooting, rooting, tooting, no yeah. haptic feedback boy. Yeah, well, I was surprised that Cyberpunk had it because I just wouldn't expect third-party games to, to make use of it when it's the only console they'll have to do the coding for that. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I don't know. Hey, maybe they really cared about it for some reason or had like a specialist like hired mm -hmm. on to, to do all the treatment for it. I'm not sure. Yep. Uh. Um, but yeah, anyway, it's good. It's like, it's like I say, it's, it's weird because it's just like, 
I mean, I've just been playing some really fucking good games and mm. I, I throw Cyberpunk on and immediately I'm like, wow, those animations are average. <laughs> you know, it just, it's really noticeable. Yeah. Um, but I'm, yeah, I'm keen to, you know, spend a little bit more time because it's not, I feel like I just play a lot of games that are, you know, twen- like 10 to 40 hours long. And I feel like this this requires a bigger commitment and therefore like I need to be a bit more lenient with my time, you know, just like, all right, you know, this bit wasn't so great, but I'll I'll push forward for a couple hours and, and just like really settle into the world and, and see if I can um like get in a groove with it. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, man, I'm keen to hear what you think about it. Um, especially once you get through have you got past that first um set of main quest stuff or you've just been running around no i don't think so i don't think so i i took like the the city slicker background or whatever it's called because street kid Kid? yeah i've been reading a lot of philip k dick and i just wanted that like city experience you know there was like the mad max background Mm. the street kid background and like the corpo background and i was like no i want like the gritty fucked up dirty alleyway bullshit so uh yeah <laughs> okay we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see how that uh pans out for me hell yeah um in in other news actually i uh i've been getting into a little bit of that do you remember when i bought that uh machine the i don't native instruments i think makes oh, it. oh it was... yeah have you still got that no no but i um teenage engineering make an app called uh it's for it's called like the pixel or something like that oh yeah um and it's yeah it's like a little pocket operator um, sampler and i've been getting back into making some beats and shit oh that's fucking awesome dude yeah yeah um my boss bought the teenage engineering uh bluetooth radio i can't remember what it's called but there's one at your house Oh, is there? <laughs> yeah, they ha- I, saw, I noticed it on the shelf. Uh, right. J, J and J have one. It's like a, right. I think they had a yellow one or maybe it was a white one. I can't remember what color it was. But anyway, Johnny bought one and um, had it in the office and I was playing around with it. And I was like, this is fucking sick. And I think it right. sort of sparked the old, the bug in me because it's not just like a Bluetooth radio. It's got like, you can record sections of the audio that's playing through it and like rewind and play it back and... And then it's got like this weird radio where it like strings out the, the sound into these long, weird, uh, what'd you call it? Um, you know, when you slow music right down, like mm-hmm. really, mm-hmm. really slow, it sort of sounds like whales singing to each other. It's sort of like that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, it's got a mode with that on it. Um, yeah, it's just, it was just a real fun time. You can like rewind. There's like a little knob on top to like a DJ style rewind radio or whatever you can take samples from it wow plug it into other stuff wow that's that fucking like, cool yeah. yeah um so anyway yeah i just thought i'd shout that out because i've been having a bit of fun um johnny posted a video the other day of his kid when when it was a baby um smacking its head into a filing cabinet <laughs> it wasn't a big hard smack or anything but it was just it made the most perfect noise and i was like i'm gonna make a beat out of that <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, like, that's fucking sick! <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, awesome. Um, so, uh, do you want some chicken, or you got you got any other bits for me before we get into some news? No, I've just been smashing Slay the Spire. So hit me with that chicken. All right, cool, cool, cool. I, wish, I should get back into Slay the Spire. 
Bro, everyone after this episode is going to get back into Slay the Spire. All right, no, hit <laughs> You're me. feeling it? Hit me with that news. All right, all right, all right. There's a cosmic shift. Slay the Spire is coming back. <laughs> um, so, first piece of news. Uh, did you ever hear of the game called Only Up? Only Up? No, I don't think so. So this was a bit of a um, Bennett Foddy-like um, getting oh, over yeah. it style game where you mm-hmm. played... But it was in full 3D and it was very, like, Unreal Engine-y. Okay. Uh, You played this dude climbing up all of these sort of objects to get up to the top of the space, I guess. I don't don't really know where it finished, but it was pretty high. Mm Mm-hmm. And it sort of hit this weird nerve with streamers and it became very popular. Oh, Um, sick. Yeah. However, it hit a bit of controversy uh, because a lot of the assets... It's an extremely asset-heavy game. A lot of the assets were just, like, ripped straight from unreal store um oh. and so that's a bit of a, a no-no when it comes to like releasing a game a paid product on oh, uh, really? on steam yeah you can't just like have have assets that you it's you know it's like a unity asset flip game right so it's not that they've like bought these assets from the store to use them in their game it's like they've stolen them um it's i think it would be I don't, I don't know if they actually stole any of them, but it's still a bit of a no-no to have them, you know, unchanged, just hanging out in your game. Um, right, okay. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it, th- there was a bit of that. And then I think uh, the news here is, like, the dev removed the game from Steam saying that he needs time for peace of mind and healing. <laughs> so I don't, <laughs> I don't really know what's going on there, but I just thought that was an interesting thing for a developer to say after removing their game from Steam. Um, yeah. After it being so popular. You'd think they'd just put it up for free if they were getting, you know, kickback about, you know, sort of reselling asset flip stuff. Yeah. Um, so anyway, peace of yeah. mind and healing to him. To him. <laughs> it reminds me of the Flappy Bird situation. Yeah, yeah. Where that, yeah. that Vietnamese dev was like, Jesus fucking Christ, I'm making 50,000 US a day. Yeah. Uh, I am disappearing now. Goodbye. Yeah, yeah. And, and yeah. took Flappy Bird with him. <laughs> yeah. It's such a strange thing. It's like, I'm making a million bucks a week. All right, bye. That's enough of that. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, some conspiracy theories probably existed for that. Oh, I'm sure they do. I'm sure they do. Second piece of news, and I don't really think this is news, but I just thought it was an interesting take. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of people are saying that Starfield takes about 12 hours before it gets good, quote unquote. <laughs> oh, boy. That's a, that's the old, it gets better after the third season. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> if anyone says that to me about a show, I'm instantly turned off in the most intense way. So. Yeah, it's it's funny though because I have one show like that and it's not as egregious as like waiting three seasons, but I feel like Bojack Horseman doesn't kind of uh, hit its stride until the second season. And yeah. you can tell in the first season once once you're familiar with the show that they were playing it safe to a degree because it was yeah. a newly funded show. And so the first season is still good, but it doesn't hold up against the seasons that follow because they're amazing. And so oh. I feel like if I'm recommending Bojack to someone, I've, I've got to throw in that caveat. Yeah, totally. That's fair. Um, and then a uh, final piece of news. Speaking of games with star in the title, 
Um, Star Citizen. Star Citizen. Yeah. Um, I just have a few little tidbits of info from that because I thought it was interesting. I saw I saw it pop up and I was like, what? what's going on with Star Citizen? How are they <laughs> been going? <laughs> what um, are they doing with those 600 million cojones? They got so many cojones. Uh, <laughs> so the initial funding was for $300 million in June of 2020. Uh-huh. Uh, it then surpassed 400 in November 2021 and 500 million in September 2022. You say 600 million. I don't know where they're... Is that right? Are they up to that? Um, I seem to remember when I brought a chicken wing a couple of months back on Star Citizen, they were up to 600 million. But yeah, yeah. Because remember I was... Um, they had just reached 600 million and I brought all those other figures. I was like, Cyberpunk took 170 million. Uh, uh, yes, yes. Red Dead Two took 170 million, and it's like, man, you're looking, you're looking at huge AAA mega games with like marketing budgets and all that shit. And yeah, uh, yeah, you got Star Citizen over here, unreleased, right? Like it's uh, not still in alpha. <laughs> That's bananas. That's a, a bananas sum of of money. And, yeah, and you've got an unreleased game. Yeah, it's uh. It's very strange. Um, so, um, yeah, it's there's like no, from what I can tell, there's no sign of it being done anytime soon. It's just like in in this perpetual alpha state, right? Um, it's just terrifying. I've never played it. Have you ever checked out any footage or anything from it? No, I mm. uh, yeah, no, I have, I have no idea. It looks, um, it it looks kind of dangerous to me. Like it, mm. it seems very involved, and and that amount of detail is is really appealing. So, I I think I'd need like a, a mega PC though. So you know, the the barrier is high, and I think I think that's probably a good thing for me right now. Yeah. That's fair. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know if I'll ever get around it. There's something interesting about, like, you know, becoming a space trader and, like, ferrying goods, stolen goods between different places. But if I wanted to do that, I could just play No Man's Sky. <laughs> yeah, well, I think, um, you know, it's very easy to uh, break the, the uh, isolated economies in No Man's Sky as you travel mm-hmm. from solar system to solar system. And I think... I think the just sheer content around resource management in Star Citizen kind of leaves No Man's Sky looking like a, a speck of sand on the beach that is Star wow. Citizen. Wow. All right, then. <laughs> <laughs> and and look, I'm kind of with you. It's like, oh, I might never get to it. But just imagine the, the chaos in Gamerland when it actually launches. Like, I think... Yeah. I think it'll it'll probably bring a lot of hype. So uh, yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to watch that space. Totally chaos in Gamerland. <laughs> um, and that's all I got. That's all the chicken I could muster this week for Gondor. All right. Well, <laughs> light those uh, beacons because I got one more wing to roast. Oh, we're lighting back up the beacons. Go on. Uh, so. The and and this article called it the Switch Two. Um, the Switch Two has been demoed at Gamescom, um, which is like a video game trade fair, and <laughs> they reportedly showed off an improved demo of Breath of the Wild. 
and uh, um, why not Tears of the Kingdom? <laughs> so that's that's all we know. But I just thought it was worth bringing attention to because I think that's so fucking Nintendo to to have this brand new spanking console that has been in development for how like who knows how long, and then they're like, look at how well it runs this six year old game. <laughs> yeah, so fucked up, dude. Oh. Nintendo. Uh... They're out here just doing <laughs> stuff like that. They they do whatever they want, whenever mm. they want. And uh, yeah, I just thought that was funny. But it does seem it does seem as though we can expect the the sequel to the Switch next year. Right. And I hope it is exactly the same form factor and it's just beefier. Like on the insides. I right, think right. I Better think specs. they've yeah, I think they've got the form factor perfect. They just like, you know, it's what everyone craves. Ima- imagine a Nintendo machine with good insides. Mm. And it wasn't always important because for the longest time, it was their uh, first party studios that, that we get all our enjoyment from. But now the Switch is actually home to a lot of third party games and they could just afford to run a little bit better. So mm. yeah, I think I think the uh, the context of the climate that that they're releasing the console in has changed, and it would mm-hmm. be cool if they realised that. <laughs> but I don't I don't know if they will. Nintendo realising something. This is new. <laughs> That's real chicken right there. Yeah, hot off yeah. the presses. Nintendo realised something today. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck! I know. I know. Uh, um, but yeah, if that's all the chicken you got, then then we can smoothly segue into this week's topic, which uh, which has a bit of uh, Nintendo's tendrils, if mm. you will, uh, are in this topic. We're going to talk about card games. Card games. Card games. And Joseph, I love card games. Uh, I've had very special moments with like Hearthstone, Inscription, Monster Train. And naturally, Slay the Spire, but also the OGs. You know, I'm talking like Texas Hold'em, 500, Jim Rummy. Um, one, uh, one particular video game company at Nintendo, they, uh, they started producing cards uh, in Kyoto in 1889. Oh, my God. Uh, under the name Nintendo Kar- Karuta. And uh, also, I learned... That Nintendo means leave luck to heaven, which I did not know. That's like the translation? Yeah. Leave, oh, I did not know that either. Leave luck to heaven. Um, That's beautiful. It is. It's, it's kind of uh, ambiguous. It, you could derive a lot of different meanings from that. So uh, I kind of like it. Yeah, it's great. Uh, anyway, obviously the history... For literally all card games would be absolutely bonkers to try in our 30-minute segments at the end here. And so I'm just going to focus on roguelike card games. Because I think, like, to deconstruct fucking poker, like, good lord. That's like like 40 episodes, you know? That's like uh, deconstructing creativity. (laughs) <laughs> yeah exactly exactly that's a that's a long and arduous journey to uh go down that road so i think the question that we'll try to answer in this episode is 
why is Slay the Spire so good? And so... (laughs) (laughs) Oh, very good. We've got to rename the topic. (laughs) It's not about card games. Why do you Slay the Spire? (laughs) No, no. I've got... I'm going to give you some history, you know. We've we've done our homework. Um, (laughs) But but this whole this whole roguelike card game situation is a lot fresher than you might think uh so the first roguelike card game was released less than 10 years ago um but before we get into that i just want to i just want to unload some magic the gathering stuff onto oh, you oh hell yeah hit me with those weird gathering stats yeah so i mean it's it's been a physical card game for a very long time but i'm talking about 1997 we got magic the gathering the video game mm-hmm. and oh my goodness this game has that archaic 90s pc video game aesthetic yeah. uh like the ui is nightmare fuel it screams mega nerd if you played this game you're a mega nerd even if you haven't played games for the last 20 years the fact that you played magic the gathering the video game makes you a mega nerd forever uh (laughs) it i mean i i don't know how to describe it to you i'll send i'll send you a a video because it's it's bananas the sounds joseph my god (laughs) there's no music it's just delayed magic sounds over and over again it's insane it Mm. it feels like a fever dream um i love it i can't wait to see this video (laughs) anyway um you'll be anyone can find the video if you just type in like magic the gathering 1997 video game it'll it'll pop up and it's just it's crazy and so that game was based around it, it was actually really cool like it, it was a, a reimagined Magic: The Gathering realm that is one player, and you like uh, start off on a journey and you walk around, and again, no music, just sounds with a delay on them, and they're all super compressed, and it's the late nineties. It's wild. It's absolutely bonkers, and they also spell sorcerer wrong in oh, that hell game. Yeah. They, yeah. they spell it with a with an O at the end and not an E, and I thought that was really funny. Anyway. <laughs> so you, you're solo wandering around fighting other beasts? Yeah, yeah. And and it, it has roguelike elements to it. So you might come across a cave, and it's not very nuanced. You, you come across the cave, and you get a bit of text that says, this chimera is guarding powerful magic do you engage combat mm-hmm. and and so you can choose to fight the chimera to obviously get some magic cards or whatever or you can choose to ignore and and go to the next thing um and that's that's cool and that's kind of the core of um of roguelike card games is like starting a journey and like having a decision centric kind of gameplay mm-hmm. um and so yeah there's there's a lot going on in that magic the gathering game from 97 and it inspired um so many games going for uh going forward so like um dominion uh came out in 2008 and and that was originally a physical card game that you would play with uh friends or other people and so it it simplified the deck building aspect of magic the gathering 
and it kind of also has some slightly more accessible roguelike elements so i guess that magic the gathering thing is is one big story mode that you uh get into whereas dominion was a stripped back simplified you have a turn you pick a card from a pool of cards and and it's not a random pool you're choosing specifically which card you want and then that card allows you to buy things or steal things from other players and your goal is to amass uh real estate and right. to buy real estate you use gold so it, it's fairly simple it's it's just this kind of triangle of real estate gold and deck building and yeah you you verse other players and the first one to reach a, a certain amount of real estate or gold wins and uh that uh you know that worked dominion became huge it's now on the digital scene you can play for free yeah uh, is this i think i played this with dom once is this like an online card game that you can play like on, on a web server somewhere yeah exactly um yeah. I, I think it's just dominion.com or something like that i sure. uh yeah i played it a lot during the pandemic it was yeah. it was a really cool co-op game to play with friends and it's really chill there's no turn timer or anything like that you're just hanging out choosing cards getting thrashed by dom uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she's very good at dominion yeah. and board games in general uh and yeah it's uh i i really like it i still like it i think there's there's something in the nature of of its stripped backness that is mm. is really attractive uh then we jump forward we got developer peter whalen uh releasing a mobile game called dream quest in 2014 uh coincidentally the same year that hearthstone left beta mm. And this is, this, I know, I know, dude. And, uh, <laughs> and this is the first true roguelike card game. A hundred percent roguelike, baby. Uh, yeah. So inspired by Magic the Gathering. And it's basically taken the core of Magic the Gathering. So going on that journey and making decisions, but it's pretty much imprinted the original rogue dungeons of doom uh ui over the top oh, so wow. rather than um these painted visages that you'd see so like with that chimera at the cave example there'd be some digital art of a chimera out the front of a cave and then the text would appear but this uh this dream quest was more like rogue dungeons of dooms where it's just like a bunch of squares which mm. uh, like show the dungeon and every dungeon is random and then there are a bunch of enemies or chests or what have you populating each of the squares Got it. uh and uh this this yeah this game looks it's cr it kind of uh, i don't know how to describe it again it's so weird looking at like the first in a genre all all the art in this game is done in ms paint wow um, and and so there's a certain charm but it's very dated it, what's 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 the name of the game again uh dream quest dream in 2014 quest. it was a mobile game and uh yeah you you're like a stick figure on one of the squares and you you move around and interact and you deck build you know you 
you engage in combat and you have attack cards and block cards. So all that stuff is there. Uh, and yeah, I, I couldn't find much information on it because despite it being the first roguelike card game, it definitely doesn't seem like it was by any means a very popular game. When, when I found a video that was kind of running through the game, you know, it was from someone who had 200 subscribers and shout out to 200 subscribers. That's huge. We'd be, we'd be chuffed with that. But in general, when I look up a video game video, it's from someone with like 50,000 or whatever. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, uh, I can't, I can't imagine this had a lasting impact, but it was absolutely the first game uh, that kind of put everything together for that single player roguelike experience with cards. Wow. That's really strange. You know, like normally the thing at the top of the pile, so to speak, the thing that starts it all off is, uh, more well-known. I feel like, yeah, if, if it's a roguelike card game, I'd never heard of this and it's a mobile game and (laughs) barely ever talked about. People are always like, yeah, video games come a long way since Pac-Man or like Doom and, you know, all that sort of stuff. There's like these mm. pillars of things that kicked off. We talk about it all the time with like Dungeons and Dragons being like the seed for so much of this stuff. And for, for the sure. seed for this thing, for this really popular subgenre to be this 2014 mobile game <laughs> that it's... looks like it was made in MS Paint and, you know, horrible garish colors that I'm looking at here. Yeah. Um, and art looks like it's done by a, a, a child. Um, <laughs> it's uh it's very strange it's very strange indeed yeah it's it is weird i think i think the seed for this whole genre can can be attributed to magic the gathering despite right. magic the gathering not really being a roguelike um you know it was very much a big story mode where you have checkpoints and if you game over you just go back to the checkpoint you know it's right it's it's nothing like the roguelikes that that we know and love today yeah um and so yeah this is 2014 when we when we've got this first mobile game that that puts everything together in a nice little, little package and it's only three years later that we get the holy mama the big daddy that <laughs> uh that big honkin release that bonks out all the other games <laughs> it's uh it's 2017 and slay the spire drops hey. it's like it's like when stardew valley dropped and everyone was like what the fuck even is harvest moon you know like yeah. it, it just kind of replaced everything that came before it yeah um and and so this is the end of my notes and it just says so why is slay the spire so good because we we're we're off script baby we don't we don't fucking need notes for this um because i think slay the spire despite it not being the first is the dungeons and dragons of this genre Mm. it it took everything before it and has influenced everything after it and it is just perfection so we we talked a long time ago i think in the top 10 episode i wrongly put slay the spire as an honorable mention because i was an idiot and i i remember you talking about the the music and the art and you were Mm. saying i wish it was just a little bit better 
Yeah. And I'm <laughs> I'm nearing 400 hours now. And <laughs> I... <laughs> no shame. And I love it. I mm. think it's exactly what it needs to be. And, you know, we got an email from Jim a really long time ago. It's almost the weekend timeline is totally fucked at this point. I can't tell if, if we said something a month ago or a year ago. It's, yeah. been, it's been going for too damn long. Anyway, Jim wrote in. I think it was Jim or it was Pete. Anyway, it was one of our lovely listeners. And they asked, what does a 10 look like? And at the time, I was being so clinical with it. You know, I was like, the, the, the only 10 I had played at that time, I had played Disco Elysium since then, but the, <laughs> the only 10 I'd played at that time that I really felt was a 10 was Hollow Knight because yeah. I just felt it had no flaws. And if, you, if you're giving something a 10, it can't have any flaws. But I guess I didn't have that critical eye and I didn't have enough experience in assessing video games because when, when I watch movies and I rate them on Letterboxd or whatever, there are plenty of movies that I give five stars that have flaws, but I love those movies, flaws and all. Yeah. And, and I think I was missing the emotional aspect of mm. the video game when I was rating it. And so for me, despite that music not being top tier, but very catchy, I, I sing Slay the Spire in the Shower. <laughs> uh, and, and the art style being so average that uh, when they opened up some of the artwork for the fourth character, the Watcher, and they had the community do the art, the art for the Watcher is much better than yeah. any of the art in the rest of the game because, like, random community members did it and it just looks amazing. Um, I, I think it's a 10. I think it's, I think it's actually the perfect video game. Mm. Um, and so I'm going to try and break down why that is. Sure. So... If we wind the clock back to pre-pandemic, I can't remember the year, but we were playing the new Amnesia. Oh and... yeah, Machine for Pigs. Uh, no, not that, not no? that far oh, back, the, not that yeah, far okay. back. Yeah, yeah, the, okay. the skin crackly one in the desert. I can't yes, remember. I, I think that remember. was in the pandemic, wasn't it? Was oh, maybe not. I can't remember. Oh, it might have been. It might have yeah, been. Yeah. Um, Anyway, it was really hot in that room when, yeah, where we were playing it. Upstairs. So we absconded to somewhere air-conditioned. And you said, hey, I've been playing this game, Slay the Spy. Do you want to check it out? And you put the <laughs> controller in my hand. And you, you didn't really explain anything to me. You just put yeah. it in my hand. And I understood you one of the first things you see is the map and it's just all these pathways. And so immediately you've got to make a choice because it's going to influence what you encounter as you play. And uh, I started seeing enemies playing cards. You defeat an enemy, you get a bit of gold, you might get a potion and then you get to choose a card to add to your deck. And mm. 
I, I don't know if there's a tutorial for Slay the Spire. I'm not sure if there is, but you don't need one. It's so simple. Like when you're shown an enemy and you can see it has a health bar that's 46 out of 46 and your cards say six damage and five block, there's, there's nothing that any kind of explaining could teach you more than you can learn just from looking at the screen. Mm. And I mean, we've realized how passionate I am about tutorials and, and learning about a game, but I just think to be able to start with that kind of simplicity and end up where Slay the Spire ends up is bananas. It's <sighs> insane because the game can become so complicated mm. so the things that influence its complexity is uh pretty much what you see in every other roguelike especially uh card game roguelikes so you've got artifacts which are extremely powerful uh unique things that will influence how much damage you do uh how much damage you take and then it'll have all these really cool uh obscure ones that might grant you a status that does something specific and so that those first few runs like you might feel completely lost but you're just going to learn by playing yeah and because of the simplicity every card tells you what it does every artifact tells you what it does uh, and it's enough. And I wanted to know if that was your experience, because I love a roguelike. I really get behind <laughs> it, and mm -hmm. and be and because they share so many traits, it doesn't really take a lot to jump from one to the other. Like I did that slay the spy run at your place, and I think I died somewhere in Act Two. And then when I got home, I bought it and I beat it like three times in a row straight away. <laughs> and, yeah. and so I wanted to know when you started playing, like, did you feel that it was doing a good job of teaching you the rules? Um, I definitely didn't beat it three times in a row straight away after my first run. Um, I think you have a knack for that sort of thinking when it comes to these games. Um, I think... You are right, the game does a really, really good job of just showing you what the rules are and uh, mm. letting you experiment with them. You know, like, if the enemy says it's going to attack and you don't play a block card and you only play a card that's going to deal half of their damage, you know, that plays out right in front of your eyes. And you're like, oh, mm. I should have put a block card. I'll do that next time. Right. And it's just like the series of I'll do it next times that until you are proficient, right? Um, right. And I think that's, yeah, that's probably the, the best way to teach a player in, in a game like that. Like, even in Hollow Knight, like we talked about it ages ago, but when you get the new ability in Hollow Knight, it'll immediately teach you how to use it just because of the way the level is designed as soon as you get the, the ability, which is like, right. we talk about graceful design. I think that's kind of like epitomized in Hollow Knight and in games like Slay the Spire. Yeah. Um, where, yeah, you, you in some cases, you can't even leave the room that you got the ability in until you use the ability correctly. Like, that's kind right. of... Right. Yeah. Yep. Um, and, yeah, same same thing with um, with Slay the Spire. Like, you know, un until you grasp how to use artifacts and how to, you know, synergize cards with 
other cards and abilities and all that sort of stuff you sort of are hard locked at certain points like that game does a really good job of like um you know by the second boss you're like if you, you a lot of people will, uh, myself included bump up against that second act boss and just be like ah, there's no way and then right. it forces you to think you know what am i actually doing wrong how do i how do i get around this and and yeah you, you do it's sort of a similar thing in armored core and it's a similar thing in um hollow knight i remember i was fighting those two i can't remember the name of them sort of like an Ornstein and smo situation where like the game well, all the Souls games do this, you know, like they, they have a, they have a point where you are skill checked. You are like, right. you know, you can, you can sort of get by spamming dodge and spamming attack until you get to this, uh, this boss battle mm. and you realize that there's actually something going on here and you need to learn it <laughs> in order right. to, to go on. I think that's second act boss in Slay the Spire and it's launching a smo in a Dark Souls and it's, uh, those two bosses for me in Hollow Knight. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, I, I don't really remember what you asked me, but I feel like that answers it in some way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I was basically asking you if you felt Slay the Spy did a good job of teaching you how to play the game. Yeah, I think fundamentally it does the same thing that all of those games do is, is teach you to play it through experience, which I think is a good way to do it. Right. Yeah. Uh, we may have to fade the music in just because we've got some visitors and I've oh. left the door open. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> All right, we're back. All right, fade the music out. And <laughs> <laughs> then fade, fade it back in. And then fade, fade the it. voices in. <laughs> fade the music out. Fade the voices in. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's that's kind of all I had to say about that. Um, Hell yeah. What else you got for us on Slay and, uh, and card games? So why is Slay the Spire so good is our thesis statement. And mm -hmm. I think... It's so good because it has a depth to it that you are only able to access through experience. I think it is the kind of zenith of judging a book by its cover. You know, you first, <laughs> yeah. you first open it up, the art style's not great. The music is okay. Um, okay to good. The music definitely grows on you. Um and you you play like you have to unlock the classes by beating the game i think or maybe maybe that's not true maybe you don't have to see the credits to unlock the next class i, I can't really remember how you unlock them anyway uh you you progress through and the class you start with is the ironclad which is like very simple um very generous in uh the starting relic which each class has uh the ironclad starting relic heals you a little bit after each battle and healing is a, a real boon in slay the spire it's mm. it's not super common and you'll learn over time to use your health as a resource and that becomes really important as the difficulty increases so one of the main reasons why it's got this staying power is because every time you see the credits roll, you unlock a new difficulty oh. and, and there are 20 difficulties to unlock oh my God. for every character. And, <laughs> and so, and it gets hard. It gets very hard. You know, it starts off, uh, you unlock Ascension 1, they're called Ascension, and you 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 get more elites which are tough hallway fights right, uh, yeah. on each of the maps 
And then, you know, you go up a, a couple of levels and every enemy has more strength. And then the elites get better moves. And then the bosses don't heal you when you beat them. And oh then the, the bosses are poor, so you don't get money f when you beat them. Then you start the run damaged. Then you start oh the run damaged God. and cursed. And, and then it starts getting really real. And then you start like, um, you know, every enemy, elites and bosses included, gets even more strength and more defense. And then there are double bosses. And so you, you have to fight two bosses and you don't heal afterwards. And it's just like, it, it is so incredible to me that the design philosophy that the developers have gone for is consistent at those mm. first easy levels and at, at the kind of hardest uh, difficulty levels in the game. Yeah. And I, I just, you know, you talk about graceful design. I think that's as graceful as it gets. Like the game in the beginning is easy and accessible enough to teach you how to play without a tutorial. It just kind of gives you cards and artifacts and hallway fights and off you go. And then as you increase the difficulty, it's up to you to learn. You know, I mm -hmm. think I think after the first 10, 20 hours of, of playing the game and, and seeing how things unfold, I think it's either got you for a really long time or, or you'll pass and move on because you've kind of have your fun. You can see what it's offering, but it's maybe not for you. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's amazing that the, you know, the design philosophy, as you call it, powers, you know, the lowliest of noobs, the wettest of faces that have <laughs> strolled haphazardly in through the the uh you know art style and managed to seat themselves at the table of seriousness that is slay the spire and then that same philosophy is able to power them 120 hours in when they're fighting two bosses at once and mm. the sweat is pouring down the side of their floor <laughs> and, and they begin to weep uh that's really cool that it's able to do that um, yeah yeah and it's it's you know at its core it's just dealing cards which is pretty amazing um, i know and I, I think when it, it that's kind of what's really cool we were talking about it before with like stripped backedness mm. um i think when things are reduced to their like core elements like card games are able to do for games like this it really um is neat to be able to see light shone on those core elements in such a such a cool way in games mm. like this inspire absolutely and so they went on to inspire a bunch of games. So we've got Monster Train, which is another big one. Mm. Um, so very similar to Slay the Spire, except it has a tower defense aspect. So same as Slay the Spire, artifacts, cards, random events that you, you come across on the pathway, except the combat is is tower defense so you've got like three levels and the enemies move up the levels and you place your uh compatriots i guess in the form of cards on each of those levels to do automated combat so yep. it's slightly different and gives a nice spin on, on the slay the spire formula that you know lets it stand out from the crowd if that makes sense yep. and then Something that is very similar but also very different is Inscription. So that initial card game that you play is very Slay the Spire and yeah. s similarly stripped back, very simple. 
uh, an inscription has a whole lot more that that separates it from the crowd. But that that and that Act One card game that you play is uh, is yeah right up there. I think I think those developers really captured the the simple card game roguelike stuff uh, that makes these games so accessible and so deep at the same time. Yeah, that's cool. It feels very like um the progenerator. What's the word? Progenerator, progenerator, progenitor, progenitor ish. You know, it's like I think there was that um indie game that we played during Next Fest that was like a um roguelike game. Like you 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 dealt cards and stuff, but it was also like a third person adventure game. Right. Uh, you're yep. flying around as an eagle or whatever. Um, yeah, yeah, totally. So yeah. it's like, you know, it's no longer that stripped backedness, pure experience. They're like taking that and then applying, you know, this layer on top of it, which, which I think is like, you know, it is cool, um, but you do kind of instantly lose that, 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 you know, the light shining on the mechanic stuff, um, mm. which mm. is just how it goes. Um, but yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to see like how developers can take the formula of that card game roguelike thing and, and try different filters and different applications and different um you know ways of looking at it that uh that, that might turn into something else equally right. or maybe even more compelling <laughs> good god i i think when you do take those mechanics and put them in a 3d world it is a lot harder to to get away with the graciousness of 2D. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, I, I think it's much more forgiving in that way. Um, but hey, look, Returnal did it. Uh, you just got to be fucking housemark to pull it off. <laughs> you got to have a pedigree of doing games <laughs> in that style for the last 15 years, and then you can have a crack at it and maybe succeed. Uh, yeah, it's nuts. It's people, people out here making games like... Uh, uh. Like they've been born to do it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Shall we? Uh, shall we wrap it up? Yeah, I think. I mean, does that answer the question? Why is Slay the Spy so good? I think. I mean, I'm gonna go play some fucking Slay the Spy. Oh now. fuck yeah! <laughs> <laughs> um, if if I'm gonna leave y'all just salivating over Slay the Spire, uh, I think the best newbie tip is after every battle, you are able to choose a card to add to your deck and mm -hmm. you don't have to, you can skip. And I think that's something a lot of beginners don't realize. So if you're, if you're fresh, you're going to play Slay the Spire, which runs perfectly on every platform, even <laughs> the Nintendo Switch. It's yeah. uh, incredibly optimized. It's just, it's the best game on the Nintendo Switch. No, no holds barred. Um, but yeah, when you're in those fights, when you finish those fights, you don't have to take the card if you don't feel like it's a good addition to your deck. Slay the Spire is available on mobile as well. Yeah, if you've got if you've got that Apple Arcade, it's fucking it's on there. There's a weird warning on the App Store for when I look at it on my Google Pixel. It's like here it is, fourteen dollars or whatever, and then there's a red icon beneath it that says. Recent data from similar devices show that this app may stop working on your device. Oh, never don't, seen that warning in my life. Don't, uh, don't put don't that shit on, on Google, Google Pixel. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why it's a super powered device. Whatever. 
All right, let's uh let's let's wrap her up, put a little put a little bow on it, and go and everyone boot up your switch and play some Slay the Spire, please. Hell yeah! All right, well we hope you'll have a lovely weekend, and we'll catch you when it's almost the weekend again. Sounds good. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.